Uh, we are in the middle of this series called In Step with the Spirit, and the, and the entire series is about uh, our understanding and relationship with uh, the Holy Spirit, with God through the Holy Spirit. Our theme verse comes from uh, Galatians 5. This is Paul's, church, uh, Paul's let, uh, letter to the church in Galatia. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit more specifically about what he means by this uh, verse today. Um, but like I said, last week, Pastor Shin did a great job just starting us off with a big understanding of who is this Holy Spirit? What, what does this uh, relationship look like? What, what makes a difference? And, and the reason that we feel kind of the tension with not necessarily being in step with the Spirit as Christians is because we don't really sometimes either understand who He is or how He works. And this is actually one of the things that came across my desk a while back. This was a state of, of theology survey from, uh, 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 from Legionnaire and Lifeway. There was kind of a combination uh, study and survey that was done. But I want you to notice this is of evangelicals. This is of Christians, of people in church. Okay, this is, we're talking about a representation of you, right? Uh, but there were five common misunderstandings uh, and you can go Google those and see all five, but the two that I, like just kind of shocked me right out of the gate um, was that 43% of those surveyed um, said, answered yes to the fact that they felt like Jesus was a great teacher, but that he was not God, that there's, there's not divinity there, uh, so he's not God, which just goes back into really not understanding the Godhead or this understanding of the Trinity at all, and over half uh, kind of talked about the Holy Spirit as a force but not as, an, as a personal being, right? Not as, a, not as an actual being himself, but just more like a force. And I, I think of Star Wars, the force, right? The force is with you. You're like, just kind of like that, that's what that is. And so there are a lot of misunderstandings, and, that, and we understand that, that that can come from a lot of different areas. But we want to never take for granted that everybody's had the same teaching growing up, that everybody's understood the same thing uh, kind of coming into this place. So that's one of the reasons we go through uh, some of the theology and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit as we talk about how that applies uh, every day into our lives. So last week, again, Pastor Shen talked about the Trinity. We have in our a Trinitarian view, a theological view of God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. And, and last week he shared a little bit, just even some of the doctrine. Uh, this, is, this is something we could, we're unpacking for the next few weeks. Um, but it's a lot of the statements of beliefs, things that we believe because of what the Word of God tells us about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and his role and function. One of the ones I love is just that 1 Corinthians passage, uh, just those things that come out of that passage about how the Holy Spirit positions the new believer to be a part of the Big C Church. Uh, how we give spiritual gifts that edify the church <clears throat> and give God glory, and how he helps believers understand the scriptures. Like, that's a huge deal in terms of just the role and the function of this part of the Godhead, of God the Spirit. Now, again, uh, just to help you understand, theology, okay, theology is the study of, is the understanding of, the view of um, so we have the theology of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what uh, Pastor Shin did last week with the whiteboard. I'm, I'm doing this because I don't have a whiteboard right now, but the, if you watch it again, uh, it's over, it was over here. He did a little whiteboard illustration of how people see and understand and view that and view, uh, view theology. But we're not just going to talk about theology in this series. We also want to talk about doctrine. Where does the belief about how the Holy Spirit functions and moves and does, 
Where does that come from in terms of Scripture? And why do we believe what we believe or should believe, uh, what we should believe about the Holy Spirit? And so I always go back to Jesus. <laughs> I always want to go back anytime I can. If I can start any type of theological or doctor discussion, going back to how J- Jesus himself said or thought or discussed something, uh, I usually go there first and foremost. Um, and Jesus did have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus himself, when, we, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, it's described as the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. I don't know what that meant in terms of like a dove, but um, that's just kind of the way it was embodied, the way it was seen. Uh, descended like a dove, it talks about the fact that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, a few times Jesus talks about getting away to pray. He did this quite often, to get away to pray, and, and, and statements about praying in the Spirit. And then he talked about the Holy Spirit several times, but it was funny because sometimes Jesus would talk about the Holy Spirit as, as like a present thing, like with you, and then sometimes he would talk about the Holy Spirit as a coming thing, something was coming. It wasn't because the Holy Spirit was different, it was because it was a different interaction and a different way in which we would experience. So here's a great example in John, Pastor, Pastor Shin shared this last week. Jesus is speaking and says, the Holy Spirit, this is who he is I'm talking about. He leads into all, into all truth, but the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But see you, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, look, you know him because he lives with you. And later he will be in you. So this is a great verse where it kind of combines the way Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. Like, hey, listen, they're going to miss me. I mean, Jesus was always pretty clear, like, you know, even the Jewish people are going to miss the fact that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Son of God. They're going to miss it because they're not really looking for it. They're not looking for me. And he says the Holy Spirit is going to also be like the, the, the world in terms of not looking for it, but you guys will recognize it. You guys will see it. And he says, and just like he is with them now, he's like, he's with you now, but he's also coming. He's also going to be in you, and there's going to be kind of something that changes. And so I love going back to where we actually see this in Scripture. This is in, uh, this is Jesus' final days after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. You can read the gospel encounters and get, you know, some of the final words and some of the exchanges there. I want to take us to uh, Acts, which is Luke. Luke is actually who, one of the gospel writers, the accounts of Jesus. Luke is the one who journals sort of the launch of the church, the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke is getting all these eyewitness conversations and basically like what happened next and what happened next. And here is the way Luke described it at the beginning of Acts, talking about what this looked like in terms of what Jesus promised and what happened. So it says, during the 40 days after he, Jesus, suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once he was eating with them, he commanded them, look, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So there he's talking about it again, like future tense. Don't leave Jerusalem until this gift shows up. He goes on and says, look, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Something's going to happen that's unique, right? He says, you're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, is it time yet? Is it come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Now pause there, because just understand, even after Jesus was raised from the dead, the disciples didn't all get it. 
Okay? They still sort of had an idea of what Jesus was supposed to do. Okay, he's supposed to take over Rome, and I don't know, he's got supernatural power now, so, you know, he already had miracle power, but now he's raised from the dead, so we got, you know, uh, a live Jesus coming at you, you know. We're going to take over Rome, we're going to free Jerusalem, we're going to set up the throne and the kingdom. This is still what they kind of thought was going to happen. I love that Jesus, his response to them is, look, the Father alone has the authority to set set those dates and times. Why does Jesus answer it this way? Because if you were here during our Revelation series, oh, that's going to happen, right? That's going to happen in the way they kind of thought it might happen, just not in the same time that's there. And then he says, and they are not for you to know. Let me just pause it for all my skeptical, analytical people in the room. You know, we talk a lot, and I know that there's lots of questions that you want to get answered. And trust me, we value questions at this church. We love questions. Uh, But I need a lot of you just to get verses like this in your head. Sometimes... God doesn't care what you want to know, okay? Like, I mean, sometimes it's just the fact that you might have a question that you've wrestled with for years. Don't, don't hold on to those questions when it might be something like this, where my, Jesus might be like, yeah, God doesn't want you to know for whatever reason, right? And guess what? God has never had to explain his reasons to us. So just, just know, and I just know, I love you. I love tossing questions around with you guys. But man, <clears throat> sometimes we have to take verses like this and go, okay, yes, Jesus, <laughs> yes, Lord, I, I understand. They're not for us to know. And then he goes back and says, but you guys are going to receive, what's the word? Power. Say it out loud, ready? You're going to what? Receive? Power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is going to be the same thing we read in Matthew, where Matthew discusses, like, you're going to be my witnesses. I've, I've given all, all authority has been given to me. These are the, this is the same moment. Just understand. Same moment. Matthew gives us the, the, the word account of what Jesus' final words were, but Luke's giving us that recap, if you will, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come in, you're going to receive power. Why? To do what he's called us to do, to do the mission he's called us to do, to, to be witnesses for him. In Judea, or in Jerusalem, in Judea, and and all to the ends of the earth. Now, we're going to go to sort of the next scene. This is in Acts 2, just a few days later, when this begins to happen. This thing that, that was promised to happen, happens. It's called the Festival of Pentecost. It came 50 days after Passover, okay? So this is when Jesus was, uh, was crucified. All believers were meeting together in one place, and this is the unique reason that that this happened in this moment. All the believers are meeting together in one place. And it says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Windstorm in the house. Okay? Keep going. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire. Don't know what that means. Just It's giving you a visual. To understand, something visual, auditory, everything was happening in this moment. And it appeared and settled on each one of them. Comes and settles on each one of them. And it says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak. And they were beginning speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. 
And it says, at the time they were devout Jews from every nation, every known nation living in Jerusalem. So there was, there was, a, there was a bunch of people coming in again for Pentecost. It was after the Passover. And they'd all traveled and they'd come. And they were from all different places, Turkey and Assyria and all sorts of different places where they were coming and they spoke different languages. But they hear them talking. And he says, when they heard the loud noise, everybody came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by the believers. Now, again, just I'm not going to go into a lot of this today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about power, the expression of, of spiritual gifts and tongues next week, but I'm not going to argue this. Sometimes that lang- this, this whole thing about tongues and you know, the spiritual manifestation of Pentecost kind of comes out sometimes in some wacky ways, and it's all about you know, utterances and shudabada Honda and all that kind of thing. You guys you know, with me now? And so some of those things are, are happening in churches, and I want you to understand this is really clear. This is as clear as it can be, that these are languages, okay, languages that other Jews spoke in other parts of the world, and they were hearing the message, they were hearing them speak in their own languages. And again, they were, they were bewildered. They, they were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are all from Galilee. They're locals, <laughs> right? And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. They stood in amazement and they were perplexed. What does this mean? Because to them, it had to have meant something. God was doing something. Goes on, says, others in the crowd ridiculed them. Just said, they're all drunk. That's all. They're drunk. Now, you guys heard me talk about it last week or maybe last series. People always want to uh, find ways to explain away the undeniable. Everybody with me on that? They kind of want to explain it away, right? The undeniable thing happens that we talk about in terms of our relationship with God and what happens with God. And people just want to explain it away. Oh, that's coincidence. You know, oh, that's happenstance. And they use other language. Oh, the stars align and whatever. Oh, you're speaking perfect French. You must be drunk, right? <laughs> that's what they're doing here, right? Like they're, 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 they're just talking about the fact that somebody just, they try to just explain it away. And so here's Peter. Peter comes back to respond. He steps forward. The 11 other apostles were there, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Okay, he has to address the elephant in the room. These people are not drunk, right? As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is just much too early for that. Okay, good that Peter threw that in there, right? He didn't believe it was five o'clock somewhere. Peter's like... Not happening. And then it's beautiful. You need to go read on, but this is where Peter preaches at Pentecost. Peter preaches this spirit-powered message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and the Jesus that they crucified and, you know, and, and, and the leaders rejected and people missed him. And they go on to, he goes on to give this amazing sermon, fairly simple sermon, and then he gets to the end and he calls them to repentance. And then there's something unique. What happens right here? He says, Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I like to tell people sometimes that this is the line in the sand, so to speak, where everything changed from the disciples to the apostles, right? 
Everything changed. All the way up to that point, the disciples were like, come follow Jesus. Come follow this man. Come follow this teacher. Come follow the Lord. You know, they were disciples. Come follow him. Come follow him. And then for whatever reason, in this moment with the, with the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets the fact that it's different now. And when he preaches and teaches, he says, I want you to repent of your sins, and I want you to come to Jesus. And when you do, it's not the same as it was for the disciples to come follow the man Jesus. It was like, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is now what's going to happen. This is now the difference in relationship. The promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then he goes on to say, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All right, this is, just hear me, this is the birth of the church. This is the moment. The moment when it goes from, you know, we're following Jesus, this man, this Christ, our Lord, as they all had different views. I mean, the, not the, the disciples, but everybody who followed him. And as they began to understand what was happening and how things were changing, now it became about not just the Holy Spirit, but now it became about God, not just through what Jesus had done, but now through this gift and this power and this promise. Now, because of that, again, what happens here and from this point forward begins to sort of, you know, kind of fan out into some different kinds of doctrine. Now, when you hear me say this, I want you to hear, this is not doctrine like people don't believe that Jesus is God. I mean, there are apparently some people that don't believe that, but that's a whole different animal. That's a, that's a serious issue in terms of salvation. But there are lots of people who are saved, who believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord, who have a different kind of idea of the beliefs and the doctrine around the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three that I feel like are most common, even though two of them are sort of the most commonly taught in denominations, and then I'm going to talk about the one that I believe we see clearly in Scripture, all right? Uh, I call them something simple, very simple, spirit-supported, spirit-filled, and something called spirit-living, which I just, I just call that new life. What does that exactly mean? Well, let's walk through them very quickly. Um, spirit-supported comes from that theological view Remember last week, again, I'm kind of doing this as if you guys were all here. Um, that last week, those, those theological views were, you know, there's a hierarchy, you know, God's number one, Jesus is number two, uh, you know, the helper spirit is number three, he's the runt of the litter, he's the, you know, he's, the, he's just the helper, helper elf, so to speak, you ready with me? Like there, there, is a, there are people who definitely walked in last week and walked out understanding that's not how that view should be, but there are people who have had that view. And so spirit-supported theology and doctrine come a lot of times with your Baptist and your Presbyterian and your uh, United Methodist and some of your uh, Christian church and your really your mainline traditional denominations tend to, hear the words, tend to sort of teach and preach a spirit-supported doctrine. All right, that's where like God is here to help you through this force called the Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's the helper. It's the still small voice. It's the Jiminy Cricket. Everybody with me? The, Pinocchio's big again for some reason. All right, so it's the Jiminy Cricket, the conscience. It's the, it's the little angel on your shoulder, right? 
Like they, they, there's, an, there's an idea that, that the Christian life is all about you, and, and God wants you to do certain things, and then you've been given this little helper elf, right, force, Jiminy Cricket, whatever, to kind of help you accomplish what you need to accomplish. That's what I would call kind of spirit, all the doctrine that kind of comes along with that kind of spirit-supported idea. So where the emphasis, the emphasis is not really on the spirit himself. Then there's spirit-filled. Okay, that's a different kind of a, different take on some of the things. It's a heavily emphasized aspect of the Holy Spirit when it comes to us. That's, that, that's a little bit more of your Pentecostal, your uh, Assemblies of God, some Methodist, United Methodist, some Word of Faith, more charismatic movements, right? There, there's a lot more of the presence. There's a lot more of the smoke-filled room as you worship kind of thing. A lot more of the, of the expression of tongues and prophecy and, and, and those kind of things. A lot more achieve, you can power up, you know, you can power up your faith if you just believe hard enough and go to some classes and have more faith and you can power up your, your evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And they even use the word, they have second baptism, so they kind of believe in a second baptism. It's a little different uh, than regular baptism. And then they also, you know, have an emphasis on just the being spirit-filled. I've had people actually email me and, you know, they were checking out Journey, and they asked the question. They were like, well, uh, you know, is Journey Church spirit-filled? And I, I was like, well, it doesn't have a gas tank, but I'm fairly certain. Uh, last I checked, right, um, you know, and they've, they've, they've looked at me and been like, well, do you, do you consider your pastor to be full of the Spirit? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I think I am. I'm full. I hold a lot of stuff. Like, I'm full of something. Um, I want it to be the Holy Spirit, right? But this is just, again, this is the emphasis of some doctrine you know, that I would call spirit-filled doctrine that sort of has this sort of genie in a bottle kind of wielding of the power of the spirit that shows up. And again, expression of the spiritual gifts, evidence of the spiritual nature, uh, oftentimes miraculous signs. Like there's just a little bit more of that. And again, it's a fairly heavy evidence-based uh, thing on this, on this Holy Spirit, but it's all driven by this doctrine, this, this kind of belief system around how the Holy Spirit works in light of Trinity, in light of the Godhead. The third one is what I would call spirit living. And the reason I call it spirit living is because I, I, I believe that it's what we see in Scripture in terms of um, what, we, what we see and experience in Scripture clearly is the idea that, that we now live a new life in Christ. And the reason we have a new life is because the Holy Spirit now indwells us. That's a, a new life. So that's the reason that I, I, I just call it like, it's, it's, it's not supposed to be an emphasis on, you know, you're not given spiritual gifts just so you can kind of get, be flashy and kind of, you know, run around and, 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 and show off these kind of things. You're not, it's not spirit supported where he's like a little Jiminy Cricket. Like it's just every day, it's every day part of your life. Spirit living, this new life, is this idea that the Spirit resides in us and functions in us so that we can, we can live the life He's called us to, right? He, we, he, he, he indwells us so that we can actually do it, so we can actually live this Christian life, that the life is actually Him. And I love that visual that Shin shared last week of the three-legged race. He shared this idea of like, you know, there's two people and they tie their leg together, and then they kind of walk in, in sync together. 
And the thing, I like that visual, but see, to me, there's part of me that even feels like that visual doesn't do it justice because when I read the Word of God about the Spirit and us in terms of this relationship, it's supposed to be somewhat indistinguishable, us versus the Spirit. That the Spirit now confirms and joins with and unites with our Spirit. And we are supposed to be living in such a way that the power of that experience is actually what drives our lives. It's actually where we live our life, which is why I call it spirit living. So go back to our theme verse, right? This is how, this is how we said it. Since we live by the spirit, right? Since this is an all-encompassing thing in our life, we are filled with the spirit of God. Again, I, I believe we are filled with the spirit of God when we become believers, okay, as full as we can be. Because we live by the Spirit, now we have to do some things to stay in step, to, 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 to make decisions to be in step and to live the life he's called us to live. Keep going. This is how he described it uh, to the church in Ephesus. He said, you Gentiles have heard the truth of the good news that God saves you. Now remember, uh, Jews would have already believed this. Jews would have already believed that God was the Redeemer and the Savior, and he, saved, you know, he, he helped them and saved them. They would have celebrated Passover. But now he's talking to Gentiles. He said, now you've heard this amazing news that God saved you. And when you believed in Christ, what he did for you, he identified you as his own. And, and the words there used is that he sealed us by giving us the Holy Spirit. He's put a seal on us. He sealed us in himself, whom he promised long ago. So there's this combination of the Trinity, right? God is going to rescue us by the work of Jesus Christ, and then he identifies you in your new life. He seals that for the promise of salvation and for the promise that he promised long ago. This spirit is the guarantee. It's the guarantee that we're going to give us the inheritance that he promised us and that he purchased for us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. This is where we get our worship from. This is when we, listen, when we sing songs like Jaira, you know, he's more than enough, right? It's honestly, it's tying into every one of those doctrines of, of the Trinity, you know? That they had the fact that he did this and he would love us and he would clothe us and he did this work for us and that he's closer than we than, than could ever be right now. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's all of these pictures coming from this doctrine that Jesus is more than enough, that God in his Godhead seals us, guarantees us this promise, and because of that, we get to worship him. We get to give him the praise and the glory. Here's how Paul described it in Rome, uh, in Rome to the church in Rome. We're going to look at Romans 8 quite a bit. We're going to jump around. It says, for all who those who are led by the Spirit of God, we're now children of God. So you have not been given and received a spirit. Notice the lowercase s. You've not been given a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. So this would have been attacking or, you know, t- addressing the culture in, the, in Rome at that time, which would have been more pantheo- pantheistic in terms of gods. And he says, look, you're not getting like a little helper God, right? You're not getting like a little spirit, little Jiminy Cricket to help you along the way. You know, that you're just now just a fearful slave, and that's how this relationship's going to work. He says, no, you're led by the Spirit of God as children of God. And then he goes on to describe that you received the Spirit when he adopted you as his own. And now we call him Abba, Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's kids. His Spirit joins with our spirit. Again, hear that unity in that. He joins with our spirit to affirm that we are His. We belong 
to him. It's not, it's not, this is not a DNA test like you would do to make sure your kid's your kid, right? I mean, it, you know, my, my parents never did DNA tests. And outside the experience of growing up in their house, there is an essence about this that I know that I'm their kid. Does that make sense? And there is something even more, something closer, where God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, joins with our, our life, our spirit, and affirms that we belong to him. Like, that's, that's amazing. That's what this power represents. And this fullness of living spirit-filled or living in the fullness of that is, is when we begin to depend on this, we begin to lean into this, not like a little crutch, but like oxygen that we breathe in. Like, like, like we can't live without this. We can't do this Christian life without the spirit. Like, there's no way we could, we could function in the way God's calling us to function, let alone accomplish the mission without the power of the Holy Spirit that he promised in our life. And we breathe that in and we become dependent on it, that, that life-giving oxygen. I tell people sometimes this too, that, and then I'm going to read this part of, 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 of Romans 8, but prayer is a big one for me especially when it comes to understanding how the Spirit works. Because to me, oftentimes when I talk with Christians, and it doesn't matter how long they've been following God or what church they grew up in, there is a sense, again, because of a little bit of a misunderstanding of the Godhead, that when they pray, you're sort of just launching, like rocket launching, right? These pleas and these requests up into the nether dimensions, where God is up there somewhere, distant, on a throne, you know, listening in. And, and, and that's not what prayer is. One of the reasons that the early church, like, started the, the process of closing your eyes in prayer, okay, was part, and this is, you can, you can research this, part of it was for the distractions and other things, they had disciplines for it, but Part of it is also to help you understand the closeness that God actually is. See, what do you, the rest, this is universal, by the way. Universal, when you close your eyes, like you sort of cease to worry about anything else around you. And you're only focused here, right? Eastern religions, okay, Eastern religions fully adopted this because they understood the power of what was already universally there. That, you know, if you, you know, yogas and all the kind of Eastern religious stuff where they, you know, you do this and you try to find your center and your enlightenment and your, you know, your true self and all these kind of things. And all they're doing is the practice that God already had in store where we can literally close our eyes and understand the presence of God is with us right now. Like he can't get any closer. He's close. I tell people sometimes he's closer than your skin. If you can even imagine that. Like, that's the presence of God, which is why, again, it goes back to this is the power we've been given to now have this beautiful, intimate relationship with God the Father and the Spirit doing the work in us, even as we pray. This is how Paul describes it to, to the church. He says, look, he helps us in our weakness because we, you know, that old flesh, that old man, we don't know sometimes what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. 
For the Spirit pleads for us believers when it's in harmony with God's own will. That there's this, this again, this picture of unity between our spirit and God's spirit. And so sometimes you hear about songs or prayers where people are praying that God would draw close to them. And the reality is, is that God doesn't go anywhere. It's us that move. You know? God doesn't go anywhere. You don't get partially empty. You don't, you're not partially a third quarter low on the spirit, you know, in your life. You're just not living by the spirit. You're not, you're not taking in the actual oxygen, that, that beautiful life-giving oxygen that comes into us and oxygen, oxygenates our blood and brings life to our body. Like You're not living on that anymore. Spiritually speaking, you decided to live on something lesser than. And you're no longer depending on that life and that power that's in you. So that's why when I tell people, listen, the Holy Spirit is our new life. So every time you see Paul and Peter and John's and James, and they all write about, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the new man and the new nature, and you got to put on the new nature and you got to do this and do that. Uh, most of us go right to the list of things we're supposed to do. You know, don't do this and don't do that. And you're supposed to do more of this and do more of that. And that's not, you don't start there. You start with the fact that he gave you new life, which is the Holy Spirit in you. He gave you oxygen to breathe. He gave you, he gave you everything you need in its fullness to experience everything God wants you to experience. He gave it to you already. The question is, are we living that way? Are we leaning into that? Are we letting that lead us and control us? And I love this. This is the part of where I wanted to pick up from Pastor Shin last week. This is, again, going back to parts of Romans 8. <laughs> It says, those who are dominated by sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. It says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The sinful nature is always hostile to God, right? It never did obey God's law, and it never is going to. It's always going to be anti-God. That's why those of you who are still under the control of their sinful nature can't please God. You're never going to do it out of your efforts and your works. But you are not controlled. He's talking to the church again, remember? You are not controlled by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Like this is going back to the bare principle theology. If you have, have given your life to Christ, he indwells you. And if you have the Spirit of God living in you, then you are controlled by him. And it says, Christ living within you, everything in your body will die because of sin, but the Spirit is going to give life because you have been made right with God. Now he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the, 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 the supernatural aspect of this. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Like, this is what's in store. And as I began to think through this, like, like what I began to process, even on myself, was that if I just took this truth, this doctrinal truth that I believe, that the power of God lives in me, that's, that's the Spirit of God giving me new life in Him. Like, 
what if I actually believed that? Like, what if I actually lived that way? What if I actually, every day, you know, breathed that in and began to live and move and operate with that kind of dependence, leaning into the new life that I have in Christ because of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is one of the reasons that I struggle with the doctrine, sometimes that spirit-filled doctrine. It's not that the language is, is bad. It's, it's that oftentimes it feels like it comes from a place of us kind of wielding control over the spirit. This is where the name it and claim it kind of you know, doctrine comes from, you know, like, I vow by the name of the Spirit and the power of God, you're going to, you know, and they just sort of have this sense of like, that the power of God is something for them to wield and use and control. (laughs) And yet everything I read in scripture doesn't have anything to do with us controlling anything. It has everything to do with us surrendering and being controlled by him. So does that make sense? So that's where, I, that's where I'm kind of like, ah, I can't go down that path. But if I actually believed this, what if I did? And what, if, what would change practically? Like, would I, be, would I still be scared of some of the things that I'm scared of? Would I still worry about some of the things that I, 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 I let wor- fill my mind and worry me? Would I live in anxiousness? Would I make decisions out of fear? Would I ever really believe that God is not close and he's far away? Like, would I ever let myself believe that? Would I ever let myself believe that I'm not enough? That I'm not worthy of his love? Would I ever let myself believe with limited belief that I'm, 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 I'm living a second-rate plan B existence for God because of my past sin and mistakes versus understanding the power I've been given to live in the fullness of the life he's called me to. What would change? So I want to go back and I want to read that part of the, I want to read that scripture again that Tracy started us with today in our call to worship. And I want to go back and read it so you guys can start to see it a little bit differently that if, what if we really believed that the Holy Spirit really did give you new life. That this power at work within you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is Paul's doxology and prayer for the people in the church in, in Ephesus. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you through, or power you with the inner strength that comes through the Spirit, through his Spirit. When Christ uh, will make, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. And as you trust in him, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. I love this next part where he says, I want you to experience it. May you experience the love of Christ, though sometimes it's too great to understand fully. Please, please stop trying to understand something fully in order to receive it. He says, you may never understand fully the the width and the the depth and the width and the length of his love, but you can fully experience it. You'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. (laughs) 
And thou glory to God who is able, why? Because his mighty power is at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think, ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and to Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. What would practically change in your life if you really believed that that was true? That the power of God at work within you lives in you, and it's not something for you to wield, it's something for you to surrender to and to let it control you. To let it be your new life. To let it be all the things that that, that he knows it has the power to do in and through you to accomplish what he's called you to do. To be his witnesses. To experience the love of God. And so I want to do a quick exercise as we leave today, and it's going to be while we pray. And so um, just heads up, you know, not going to, especially those watching online, this is not, I'm not, we're not going to do anything weird, you know, I'm going to have you close your eyes. This isn't yoga. This isn't anything Eastern, okay? Um, but I am going to have you close your eyes with me, okay? And I, and I want you to, to physically have something you can take with you today that as you do it throughout the week, you can actually begin to, to kind of process this, okay? So I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes with me. And I want you to take some intentional, deep breaths in, Okay? Like, just breathe that oxygen into your lungs. Expand those lungs. Just fill it up as much as you possibly can. And just feel that feeling. Feel the sense of it being fully in you. And then I want you to breathe it out. I want you to exhale and breathe out everything else. And and as we pray, as you just take this moment and make it a time of prayer, I'm going to walk you through just a few things to breathe in and to breathe out as you begin to experience the what if, what if I actually believed this was true? So big, deep breaths in. You want to breathe in this new life that comes from the power of the Spirit. Now, when you breathe out, I want you to breathe out your old life, your old way of thinking, your old, <laughs> your old desires, your old way of processing things. And then I want you to breathe in trust, because that is our faith, our trust that God is faithful and will do everything that he promised what he said he would do. Breathe in trust. And then just breathe out fear, anxiety, worry, anxiousness. I want you to breathe in forgiveness and mercy and grace. Just breathe it in more than you could ask or imagine more than you deserve. Something you could never achieve. Breathe it in. And then breathe out your confession of sin. You can't do it on your own. Breathe out your self-effort. Breathe out your self-righteousness. 
Everything you've settled for. That's less than him. And then I want you to breathe in hope, right? Not, not wishful thinking. <laughs> absolute hope. Breathe in this absolute hope. And I want you to breathe out despair and helplessness that sneaks in and, and finds its way to us all the time. Breathe it out. Father God, as we do this today, this very simple, small exercise, may your spirit, joining with our spirit, really connect the dots better than I can do. That when we breathe in deeply and we feel our lungs fill with air, that this is a beautiful picture of how you, by the Holy Spirit, have, have filled us to, to the fullness of, of God. And for us to experience it, we've got to lean into that. We've got to become dependent on that. And God, may we just make it a habit to breathe out everything that we've settled for that's less than you. Everything in our own life, in our old man, in our old desires, in our own way of thinking, in our own way of processing and figuring things out, in our own control, God, we just want to breathe it out. Confess it and breathe it out. And then in turn, just continue to take big, full breaths of the power of the Spirit that lives within us. And I'm just, just swimming around that idea of what if we actually believed this? What if we lived in such a way that we believe that that power did truly reside in all of your people? We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.